Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hello and welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast. I'm Liz Loza. As always, I am joined by Matt Harmon, who will help me recap five of the most interesting NFL games from Sunday afternoon. And of course, we'll preview the Monday night matchup. Matt any overriding themes you noticed while uh, watching the games today? I would say that I, I feel the overriding theme of the entire NFL is just that there's not that much separation between teams, right? We've been talking about that basically all year that it seems like it's an every week league where like this team, you know, you feel like they're kind of unstoppable. I mean, the damn Rams have lost like three weeks in a row. Uh, the 49ers are surging right now. The Bills and Patriots are kind of right neck and neck in terms of the AFC. So there's all that. And I also kind of feel like it's bleeding into fantasy a little bit. It feels like there are so very, very few this year, like set it and forget it players. I don't know. Maybe I, I am just kind of missing players in my mind or whatever but you know even a guy like Najee Harris today who we I don't know if we're gonna dive deep on that game uh because it was an absolute blowout by the uh by the by the Bengals but like that's a guy who it's just like every oh yeah but the uh, but the volume but the volume but the volume but the volume the guy gets like 37 uh scoreless yards today against the Bengals it's like even a guy like that you know those games are going to happen for everybody, but still it feels like in terms of just set it and forget it. You have no doubts that this guy is going to come through for you every single week. There's like maybe a handful of players like that. And it feels like that's also the case in the actual real life NFL. Well, Christian McCaffrey is another example of that oh, yeah. this particular week, right? Like 35 rushing yards. And I think, Set what, it and I'm sweat also- it. <laughs> That's what you miss. He's like, set it and sweat it. <laughs> Hashtag that, friend. I think also what I'm hearing, like, we always hear about the parody in the NFL, right? And that's a big thing. And it does feel like this year, I mean, Andy opened a podcast last week saying, like, well, I used to think I knew by this double-digit weeks of the season what was going on, but I don't. And And I also feel like it's not just, you know, every year we say, like, are the injuries this year worse? Don't they just feel worse? I think it's also... And I'm curious, I mean, this is just, I'm brainstorming, but because so much money is tied up into big name players, there's so little depth. And so when you're dealing from a fantasy perspective, the way that bleeds in with a team like Tennessee, are you really going to, like, are you going to throw a a dart at Nicholas Westbrook-Akini who like scores a touchdown but catches two balls this week? Is that what you're really... Or we talked about Rex Burkhead, right, on FFL, and David Johnson, who looks like dust. So it does feel like what you're scrounging for, you have always in fantasy been taught, and for good reason, 
to avoid. Like you don't mess with a mess because it's not going to be fruitful. And now you're sort of like, well, I I have to, and maybe I'll get lucky with Kendrick Bourne or, and I do think there was some analysis to Kendrick Bourne, but you know, maybe I'll get lucky with um, Nicholas Westbrook-Akini. But when guys like, when Jeff Swaim is not active and you're like, huh, I got to factor that in. Stuff's awry, stuff's amiss, you know? Yeah, no, I completely agree. The lack of depth is interesting there. And it's just, yeah, it's, it, it seems like this year more than ever were. And I, I maybe, again, it's maybe the same thing with the injuries where it is this this way every year, but it just feels like we're talking about goofballs like all the time, you know, it, when in these like start sit questions early in the morning, it's like, I don't really want to tell you to start Dontre yeah, Hilliard. I was getting and I'm mad. Really Did not, you tell? Yeah, I was getting yeah, irritated. Yeah. We were it, all it getting like irritated. This, yeah, it's like the same thing with Donta Foreman last week. I'm on this. It's like, why are we talking about Donta Foreman? And and like in every freaking question, it's like I don't even feel bad if if a guy like Dontrell Hilliard goes and like pops off, and I told you not to play him because it's like, how can you feel? It's freaking Dontrell Hilliard, you know? Like if I miss analyzing like Cam Newton, I feel bad about like telling. And it, what are you gonna do? It's not my fault that he goes out there and plays poorly, right? But like at the same time, it's like, man, I feel bad about that one. Like that's just a, I should have projected this, this, and that. But like some of these guys that we're talking about, this it's just it's tough. And it's not like I'm not trying to sit here and be like, oh, boohoo, Matt and Liz. Like boo, that's not at all what I'm saying. It's just it's a difficult year to play fantasy. I think this year more than ever because of the lack of just like set it and forget it guys. And the fact that you do have to consider these players uh, in your flex spot, potentially it's also like, I actually kind of feel like in a way, Liz, I know we're so off the beaten path at this point, but I, I tell people every year, like this is basically how fantasy football is where usually, and this is anecdotal evidence. Don't come at me with the numbers. Like usually there's one team that's just like absolutely crushing it. Right. You know, at this point it's like eight and two or something, you know, they've been, they've been on a dominant run and then there's like the teams that just have no shot, like they're they're dead in the water. But then there's this big group in the middle there from like two to seven or two to even two to eighth place that is right around 500, one game above, one game below that still realistically has a shot to make like the fantasy playoffs, you know, and those are the ones that are churning through these like Dontrell Hilliard, Nick Westbrook, Akina or whatever. And that feels like the entire NFL. Like yeah. there, there, there's all these groups like in the middle. So maybe in a weird way, the two worlds are, are blending more than are we colliding. Correct. Yeah. Worlds are um, colliding, Jerry. It is interesting in my deeper leagues. Like everybody has the same record within one or two of each other like it's a two a two win or two loss swing in either direction and we're all sort of like looking at point totals that's why last week i mean yes we're off i had to email scott fish and be like i just want the points from colt mccoy (laughs) just i know i'm gonna lose but just give me the points because it's gonna matter next week when i don't lose anyway if we're gonna talk about losing we have to talk about the colts because after such a dominant win they fell to the Bucks, who were not having any of it. But as predicted, one thing we all got right was that this was going to be a high-scoring game because when you have two solid run defenses and two rather generous secondaries, then you get a little bit of a fireworks experience. And indeed, that was what we got. Although Tom Brady only passed for one touchdown. It was Leonard Fournette who... Forget a hat trick. He did that on the ground and then added another one through the air We've been telling people to ride Lenny all week, uh, all year, rather, all year. So this shouldn't be, I mean, this, of course, is a surprise because it's a career outing for him. But it shouldn't be so much of a surprise that you started him. 
Right. It was a little, I guess people got probably got a little spooked that there was some Ronald Jones usage in the, in the scoring area last week against the Giants, you know. That was to um, keep Lenny fresh for this it, nonsense. I, I agree, right, for an actual competitive game. And look, for the Colts, it's almost like there's no shame in losing this game, you know, no. because well, 24 to 14. Well, well I mean, okay, when we'll, we'll, the two we'll get, drops yeah. from Pittman, we right. can, okay, 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 yeah. okay. I'm going to have myself we'll, go ahead. We'll get there. We'll get there. But like in the in the grand scheme of things, you're up 24 to 14 in the first half on this team, you know. And by the way, like they didn't do in the first half. It was basically all like Wentz in the passing game, you know. It, like Jonathan Taylor really didn't have that game like that drive finishes with 97 total yards and a touchdown on 20 touches but a lot of that came as you know you're gassed in the third quarter Jonathan Taylor finally starts to get going there but before that it was mostly went to the pass game three first half touchdowns uh but I mean this is a pretty good football team the Colts have a pretty good football team the problem is just it's it is the boogeyman of two Wentz interceptions you know eventually it's not great when the quarterback is the boogeyman right that like he could show up at any moment and like strangle out the hope of this team but still well that's the I I do think that Frank Reich is like he is just designing incredible plays and he's got all of the skill position pieces right despite the two early drops from Pittman which were rather uncharacteristic this is a guy who's reaching double digit targets he's proven his alpha status as a receiver obviously we love Jonathan Taylor right forget the excuses about the line in Wisconsin he has proven himself but Superstar, yeah. the it factor does not belong to Carson Wentz. And when you, it is the mm. most important position in football, you know, and if you don't have that piece, it's evidence of why these guys get paid so much, why they continue to sign these contracts. And then yeah. it all trickles down to the situation we open the show with. Right. And he just exactly. doesn't have the, he's not a difference maker in tight games like this. Well, he is, but in the negative way. Agree. And you brought up the point of Leonard Fournette and like Tom Brady doesn't have a big statistical passing game, uh, 226 yards on 34 attempts, one touchdown, one pick. But like this is how you beat like a cover two. You know, there's all this talk about cover two defenses and Patrick Holmes, Josh Allen. They can't figure it out. The Colts are like as hardcore old school Tampa two as it gets in terms of their defensive scheme. And what do you know? A guy like Tom Brady, who is you know, ancient, he's seen, he's seen like the first iteration of Tampa two like dominating the NFL. And now like, you know, the cover three Seattle defense comes in vogue and now it's back to the, back to the cover two stuff here. Brady has seen all this stuff. It, you look at the box score in this one and it, and it was apparent watching the games, you know, Chris Godwin, Mike Evans basically do nothing in this game. Mike Evans, three catches for 16 yards, Chris Godwin, four catches for 24 yards. They tried like a couple deep shots to Scotty Miller to the point where it's like, what are, what are we doing here? Tom, come on that enough with that uh, already. But you know, uh, Rob Gronkowski, seven catches, Leonard Fournette, seven catches, Cameron Brait three catches that was 17 of Tom Brady's 25 completions there like that's how you beat a defense like this is you dink and dunk and you dink and dunk and nobody's been better at dinking and dunking than Tom Brady over the years surgical stuff and also obviously it helped that Leonard Fournette ran the and the, the Bucks by the way from like an EPA per rush attempt perspective have been like top five at running the ball all season so they have the bones there to just like and that's why, like, don't panic about Godwin. Don't panic about Evans. This was just a matchup-based type of thing. You know, these these guys are going to have their big games. But, like, this was definitely a matchup where, okay, we're not going to push the ball deep because that's what you do as a defensive perspective. You take that away. We'll just establish the hell out of the run and dink it and dunk it with guys like Rob Gronkowski and guys like Leonard Fournette. 
the Bucks did. We've, we've talked about their defense uh, becoming more and more shallow as they took on more and more injuries. Jamal Dean, the cornerback, got banged up in this one. I think he's dealing with a shoulder injury. Devin White, that's a big potential loss. Linebacker left the game with a hip injury, but... You know, the stars sometimes align, and they often align for Tom Brady because in week 13, he's traveling to the Falcons. So I think if you were going to miss some playmakers on defense, this would be the week to take your chances. Yeah, pretty juicy spot there. <laughs> hmm. Um, all right, let's move ahead to Tom's old team, the Patriots, and the run they have been on. They are the number two seed behind Baltimore. Obviously, the Ravens will play later. They're playing actually tonight while we're recording. Um, this is the Patriots' sixth win in a row, and they really handed it to the Titans, as we expected, 36-13. Yeah. to 13. Yeah, and this game was pretty close at halftime. It was 19-13, I think, at the half. Uh, so this was a situation where, you know, I was I was pretty surprised that it was that close. Yeah, let me look at this just so I'm actually accurate here. Yeah, it was a 16-13 Patriots-Titans at the half, and I I was kind of surprised by that. I was talking about that on our Sportsbook Live show, where it was like, wow, I was, you know, I expected the Patriots to boat race uh, the Tennessee Titans. Eventually... That's what we happened, got there. Right? Yeah. We got there. We got there. I mean, but it's just like, what are you going to do if you're Tennessee? Like they, they get their running backs involved a hundred yards for Donta Foreman, hundred yards for Hilliard. I have no idea what to do with that situation. Both those guys lose a fumble too, by the way, who knows? And like, like Nito, you get your running backs over hundred yards. You don't get your quarterback over hundred yards. You lose this game. It's not a competitive game. And I don't know what to do if you're uh Tennessee in the passing game. You know, Julio Jones is on IR. AJ Brown is on IR. You're literally thrown to the preseason squad here. I mean, look at the the names of the caught passes for Tennessee is unbelievable. Nobody gets more than 25 yards. Uh, your guy Nick Westbrook Akina there, who also gets the touchdown. So that's it. That's that's your leading receiver on the day. 25 yards from uh, NWI. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you're thinking about the matchup, and we were when we're projecting it, you know, the old adage. And again, some of these things sound trite, but they have value because there's been enough data to support them. What's the thing that Bill Belichick is going to take away? Well, it's Ryan Tannehill. And it's not tough to do right now. And so he was able to do that. By the way, I think the... um, the New England defense ended up with 14 fantasy points. So a very people paid up for it in DFS. Well done. Uh, Mac Jones, meanwhile, is managed a YPA of 9.6, almost a 72% completion percentage, two touchdowns, zero turnovers. Andy Barons, again, said this on last week's pod, and I have been repeating it <laughs> as I'm fielding questions from all over like fantasy fandom at my Thanksgiving table with friends. Uh, why is Mac Jones on fire? And I'm quoting Andy Barons by saying, the thing he does best is not make any mistakes. Like, that doesn't offer much upside for fantasy. But yeah. in real life, particularly for a rookie, for a really green player, relatively speaking, he just, he's not pulling a Carson Wentz. He he seems to have this processing ability, this cerebral type of play where he just doesn't brain fart. And that's showing up in the number of wins, even if they're not high scoring for- affairs, at least from a passing perspective. Yeah, I mean, it's not surprising that Mac Jones is playing the best football among the rookies for a couple of different reasons. Because one, like, what was the note out of his scouting report? It was just like, oh, he's very smart, accurate. Like, he's he's probably a pretty pro-ready guy, right? And number two, he's on easily the best team of these rookies. I mean, Trey Lance aside, because Trey Lance is not playing. But, like, 
obviously the Patriots had but some But he doesn't have the skill position players. Like, it, I mean, the excuse sure. made for Cam Newton all last week was like, well, look at the receivers he had. Mac Jones got the same ones. Not really. I mean, they invested I mean, the in tight Nelson ends. You were talking about John o. They, Smith and Hunter Henry? Well, Hunter Henry's been, like, scoring touchdowns like it's his job. Kendrick Bourne finally getting involved here has actually been playing extremely well for these guys. Um, no, I mean, I'm not taking it. But also, I think from, like, an offensive line perspective, you look at sure. what Trevor Lawrence is dealing with. You look, And this is only, this is a Justin recent Fields, development. Sure. You know, yeah, Justin Fields is dealing with even Zach Wilson in New York. Zach Wilson's got his own problems. But, like, you know, <laughs> that that's a whole other thing. It's also, also just, like, from an ecosystem perspective, you know, the corpo buzzword ecosystem. You know, this is a Bill Belichick, Josh McDaniel, we know who the f we are and we can go out and do this whole thing that's what the patriots are you know these other teams the jets the, the jags i feel so bad for jags fans like this should be the year you have hope you have no hope you have absolutely no hope right now anyways but like they have no idea what they're doing over there the patriots know what they're doing they could drop a guy like a high floor player like mac jones in and get some steady play but you know credit to him i think he has cut out mistakes i think having great offensive line play uh, in front of him has been great for him has been great for the run game i don't know how much to trust of the skill position guys kendrick Bourne has put up some pretty good numbers lately scores twice in this game made some downfield uh plays jacoby myers also popped up for 98 yards uh and a his like i feel like a career high 19 yards per catch so some of that downfield ability is popping up in this offense which would be a legit game changer from a fantasy angle but i don't know how much you could really trust that born has been the most uh, consistent in terms of regular targets he's not been you know leading the receiving core in snaps or routes run, frankly, heading into this. But every week, you know, he's going to get, he's been on average seeing about four looks. There was a, like a week, yeah. like a, a week seven glow up against the Chargers where I think he drew seven looks. So that kind of inflated his weekly average. But I also feel like when you looked at this matchup, if anybody, and this is as a Bears fan, if you see a team adding Buster Screen, you're going to start the opposing <laughs> offense's receiver. Like that is it. <laughs> Things are yeah. so bad that you're adding Buster Screen, who, by the way, was added to, like, San Francisco and then cut within the first, oh, I think, month of the season. Yeah. No, Buster Screen is definitely one of those guys. Him and Dolda, Bleedy Ray Wilson. Like, if you've been playing DFS for the last, like, six <laughs> years or something, we've been picking on those guys for, for a long time. And, hey, here in 2021, when we're talking about, like, should I start Devonta Freeman or Rex Burkhead? Well, at least we still know <laughs> some guys are still targets. <laughs> Totally, totally. Uh, last note about the Patriots, because we did receive a lot of questions about this backfield. Ramondre Stevenson, nine carries. Uh, Damian Harris, 11 carries. They both manage 40 yards, but it's Harris that falls into the end zone and gets the tub. And then in the passing game, they both draw one target apiece. So we are looking at a backfield split, uh, an equitable share between the two. Um, and I just feel like whoever has the rhythm is probably going to be the one who gets the advantage. Yeah. I mean, the carry numbers are so similar again, one target for each of them. It's right. who scores the touchdown. Basically. Yeah. That's, that's like exactly what I said with Damian Harris as, as my off his game player on FFL is where it's like, you're just banking on a touchdown. Well, good job. You got it this week, but that's what you're looking for here. I think that might be the perfect segue if we're talking about an RBBC to our next game, which is the 
Chargers at Mile High. And let's start with Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams. Uh, It is Javante Williams this week who scores the touchdown, though previously Melvin Gordon has been leading in that category at seven heading into this game in total, I believe, uh, five on the ground and two through the air. He does lead the backfield in terms of rushing yards and carries 17 for 83 Williams, 14 for 54. They both rip off long runs. Williams gets a long run for 12. Gordon gets a long run for 16. But it is Javante Williams who draws more looks through the air, converting three of four for 57. Melvin Gordon, only uh, one catch for five yards, two targets. Yeah, I, I like that for Javante Williams, that receiving usage, uh, mostly because I used him in our TFS contest. I know. <laughs> I used Gordon, and you just barely edged me out. I really liked the uh, side note. Like, we had him on Eckler's Edge. He was absolutely wonderful, so generous, was yeah, doing the so interview cool. with nothing to promote. And you got, when, a, when a player comes on to talk fantasy in particular and doesn't have anything yeah. to promote, that is a good guy. Facing his old team, obviously history with Austin and the Chargers organization at his new stadium. I was like, you know what? I don't care. He's so cheap. I'm flexing him. Nice. Oh, well, well, listen. Also, you you got out of here with with some good fortune too, because it looked yeah. like he had a, a hip injury, hip injury. Yeah. early on as well. So yeah, I mean, it was this was basically very similar. It's like which of these guys is going to score the touchdown? William scores the touchdown. Had it gone the other way, um, at the exact same DFS salary, you would have been feeling pretty good about Melvin Gordon. But um, yeah, the receiving usage was pretty nice to see. It, it it remains impossible. Speaking of receiving usage, to start any of these Broncos receivers. I mean, nobody. Uh, gets more than 26 yards that was tim patrick on three targets Cortland sutton has gone from like wow Cortland sutton leads the nfl in air yards to you can't start Cortland sutton in fantasy ever since basically jerry judy came back and this was my concern with these guys going into the year which is just it, it's still a teddy bridgewater led offense like that was adorable what happened with the old with the panthers last year but that's because like they had a horrible defense last year where they had to throw the ball all the time Teddy Bridgewater had 18 attempts in this game. Like that ain't going to cut it when you've got Cortland Sutton, Tim Patrick, uh, Jerry Judy, and Noah Fant all to support uh, whilst also getting other players like bit guys involved. Like that's the bigger problem too, is that in Carolina, it was Robbie Anderson, DJ Moore, Curtis Samuel, and Chris McCaffrey or, and or Mike Davis. And that's it. But you've got guys in Denver like the running backs. You've got Albert. O. You know, even Kendall Hinton pops up every now and again. Like these, there's just too, it's like too many good players in Denver uh, for this offense to support. Teddy Bridgewater was in and out of this game with a knee injury. So that might have affected something, though he did save his fantasy line with a a rushing touchdown, which in retrospect feels like maybe it wasn't the best idea. Um, But but there we go. Uh, You know, they're just, I, I have to imagine, I love looking at the money sometime in retrospect, like when, when contracts are signed in season, because then we don't have all of this like time to mull them over in the off season and try to like really chew on something that may or may not exist. But like they pay Tim Patrick, they pay Cortland Sutton. They both get two catches. Jerry Judy catches two balls, even though he was only $14 in DFS. And a lot of people were like, mm. Hey, the value, well, it doesn't yeah. always work out. So Now we know that probably Teddy Bridgewater is just kind of keeping the position under center warm for a slew of rumors heading into next season. Rumored replacements. Right. They, I I know it continues to feel disrespectful to like talk about the future with the Broncos is they're like, Hey guys, we're, 
we're still we're still beating teams here in 2021 like we're we're still competitive you know at, at this point their record is is right there with all these teams that we're talking about you know they're they're 6 and 5 uh, they're right there with all of these other teams, but it's it, it is does feel like they're loading up for a run at a veteran quarterback for sure. Let's talk about Justin Herbert. Not his Ugh. finest outing. Uh, he did pass for over three hundred. If you look at this, if you look at the stat line, and you don't look at the completions versus the attempts, and you see, oh, he passed for over three hundred yards, two touchdowns. You go a little bit further. Oh, there's two really costly picks. Patrick Sertain had an incredible game. One in the end zone. Three sacks for, you know, 18 yards total. Uh, I, I don't, I don't really, I have a, I admittedly feel very close to this team. I also have a very sure. difficult tri- time projecting them week after week, because if we're talking about a topsy-turvy, like there was a couple of weeks ago where I was like, well, Brandon Staley clearly believes that the best player on the team is Justin Herbert. And so he's going to give the offense to Justin to just put on his shoulders and ride. And then a game like this happens. Yeah, and like last week it was, oh man, as good as Justin Herbert could possibly look. You know, like yeah. literally breaking records in terms of rushing yards and, and passing yards that he put up. And, you know, he just looks like, uh, it just was a bad, I think it was just a bad game by Justin Herbert. And he's had a couple of these moments of late. Uh, minus 2.1 completion percentage uh, in, adjusted for expectation there. It was not just a not ideal game for Justin Herbert. I, I just, you know, it's, it's one of those games where it's like, what do you what do you really say other than like this guy just didn't play well? Like, well, I watched most of this game and it just was not a, it was not a good outing for him. Um, I do think some of the uh, offensive line injuries have become a problem for the Chargers. They're not getting the pass protection that they ideally would have liked for Herbert, but still, you know, it's it, it's just a, it is a it does feel like an offense that when you take away what they want to do. They don't really necessarily have um, a plan B in the, a plan B. They, they can't really play left-handed. That I think is a problem. I I agree for fantasy though. You're still starting Keenan Allen. He draws 10 looks. You're not upset about that. Austin Eckler doesn't clear a hundred total yards, but he comes pretty darn close and he finds the end zone. What does he have? Like about 70 total. Uh, No more than that. 70. Oh, he does clear a hundred total yards. Austin Eckler clears a hundred total yards. He finds the end zone. That's pretty much what you're going to expect or project for him every week. So Mike Williams fell flat. Well, congratulations. Last week, he got a gift before Thanksgiving. Let's move on. (laughs) (laughs) The 49. This is a fun game. The 49ers and the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, I know that you started Jimmy Garoppolo in DFS. I wrote about him. He led my sleepers piece. Uh, For a minute there, though, I was like, oh, God, if Debo is just going to run it the whole time and Jimmy's not going to throw, there's no need to let Jimmy throw. Then I don't know. Thankfully, Kirk Cousins was able to, you know, see his old his old play caller, his mentor. I, there was definitely a bromance between he and Kyle, the K and the K back in the day. And uh (laughs) And and he and he he mustered up that moxie and thankfully was able to do that so that San Francisco could could answer. Yes, kept this game close. Kept this game well. I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo definitely was the one kind of well, not Jimmy Garoppolo as a sole entity, but the 49ers offense did continue to push it, uh, which was great. I was really hoping. I you know most of my analysis was we kind of hinged on this game turning into a a like clearing it's over under a 49 it did that obviously this turned into a pretty fun fantasy game just a fun game to watch overall Mm -hmm. 49ers right now they just have so many ways 
that they can beat you. Uh, Jimmy has one pick in this game, but overall played, you know, relatively clean. There were definitely some moments where it's like, and I think once before, like they were trying to do a couple like trick plays. They had one where it's like Jawan Jennings was throwing a, like a, a pass there. It's like what are, what are, you know what are we doing here? Um, little lateral back and forth when it's like let's just maybe throw it to our good players here. And like, I think once they got back to that, you know, that was good to see Eli Mitchell comes in off an injury from last week, 27 carries, 133 yards, Debo Samuel, um, Debo, Sam- by the way, it is worth mentioning. He, uh, Debo Samuel got banged up in this game. It sounds like he is going to have an MRI tomorrow, um, to evaluate the groin injury that he suffered. Dalvin cook also having an MRI tomorrow. So it is, a, is an MRI heavy, uh, game. We got going on here, but point is, uh, you look at this, you look at this team, and like Brandon Ayuk leads the team uh, in receiving three catches, ninety-one yards on a team high, tied with Elijah Mitchell, team high six targets. Uh, Debo Samuel, it's going to be like the the positional eligibility war to end all positional eligibility wars with old Debo Samuel there, who <laughs> gets one point, uh. has one catch in this game. And he's still like a top five receiver on the week because he runs six times for 66 yards and scores twice. And, you know, George Kittle didn't pop up for a big game in this one, but it's like the 49ers are just playing the way they want to play right now. Like This is how the offense was supposed to look with Jimmy Garoppolo back there. And it was good enough to get a win. It was good enough to get a lot of these guys home for fantasy outside of Kittle. It was interesting during FFL when we were fielding questions about Eli Mitchell and obviously during the actives and inactives portion of the show, the quote from Kyle Shanahan that I read was uh, that they found a way to protect Eli Mitchell's finger from being further injured in this game. And I rolled my eyes because I did not anticipate that the way that you protect a running back's finger is by turning a wide receiver into a running back and having him lead the backfield. I mean, I guess. Eli Mitchell still got 27 carries, so they found. Hey, you, you, they let Debo do the work early. They gave him a couple like more quarters to get that finger healthy. I guess that's it. On the other side, too, you know, Adam Thielen continues to score touchdowns. Justin Jefferson gets 83 yards. Like you know how this Minnesota offense works. Um, Alexander Madison obviously will be like a top. 12 RB play next week if uh, Dalvin Cook has to miss time. And it wouldn't be a recap of this game without how fitting that Kirk Cousins, you know, who with Washington, not with Kyle Shanahan, remember the the Kirk Cousins, like he took a knee at the end of the halftime when Jay Gruden or like against the Eagles. You remember that he took a knee uh, instead of like using a timeout or spiking the ball when they were playing the Eagles years and years ago. And Jay Gruden was like, they asked him, why'd you, why did Kirk Cousins take that knee there? And he's like, I don't know. And, and he's like, I don't know why he did that. And uh, <laughs> in this game, Kirk Cousins tried to take a snap from his right guard. He's lit- and like everyone else on the offense is like there are a couple times Justin Jefferson was very much like channeling his inner inner Stefan Diggs with like throwing his <laughs> hands up at old Kirk Cousins there, especially on that one. He tried to take a freaking snap from his right guard. Everybody else like is coming up, bringing back someone up to him like, no, 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 no. Like, oh, man. And that and it was a big moment to end that game. So a couple tough look moments for Kirk Cousins in this one. But it, it, at least it turned into a pretty good fantasy bonanza. That's for sure. I don't want to just skim over the Dalvin Cook injury news. I feel like a lot of times we see Cook go down and we hold our breath and then he miraculously pops back up. But this was a shoulder injury. He was emotional when he was carted off. There were tears coming down his face. And it's a shoulder issue. And let's not forget that he dealt with shoulder issues, both left and right shoulders, uh, in 2019. So it is an area of, you know, potential vulnerability for him. I mean, it, listen, both of these guys, Debo Samuel also has a long injury history. Debo looked pretty emotional. No groins, though, I looked. Bit. 
No, gr- oh, good. No good groins. to know. Um, yeah, but he was pretty emotional when he got to, but by the time like the game was over, he was like yucking it up on the sidelines, all smiles. It's like, must be good. Must be good. So uh, who knows? We'll see what happens with the MRI. But both these guys obviously have injury histories. So, Matt, after dropping two games and coming off a bye, the Rams didn't just not cover. They lost 28 to 36 against the Packers, who were incredibly banged up. We all know about Aaron Rodgers' toe. He showed it to everyone. Pat McAfee talked about it a whole bunch. We know about that issue. Aaron Jones, we know, is banged up. We know Alan Lazard, despite playing, was banged up. And still, Green Bay gets it done. Aaron Rodgers passes for over 300 yards and two touchdowns. Great. (laughs) You know, I I think we can expect. Devontae Adams goes for over 100 yards. And then I think the unexpected, maybe the surprise, was that A.J. Dillon carried the backfield with 20 carries. So not just a pretty even split, like a 16-11 split, 20 carries to Aaron Jones's 10. He managed 69 rushing yards. Also, this is why you and I projected Dylan so highly the past couple of weeks, All converts all five of his looks for 21 receiving yards and finds the end zone through there. Yeah, he's been awesome as a receiver, super efficient all season. Like, uh, he bangs old Taylor Rapp into like another zip code at the end of that game. I just... Old Taylor Rapp? <laughs> He's in his like second or third year. I mean, I don't mean literally old. You, you know what I, know. I mean? That's not. I uh, yeah, but like, it's it's a it's a one of those things where like I just want to see more of AJ Dillon. Obviously, I want Aaron Jones to be healthy. Like Aaron Jones is a great player, but it's like, good God, the thighs, the quads, the whole thing. Like, let's just see more. Skies out, thighs out for old AJ Dillon. Let's just see more of that guy. Uh, I, I just love love a big back, love a big back in December. Uh, that's going to be a fun end of season run for AJ Dillon there. Yeah, no, I think the Packers look in the what's old is new again theme. Uh, Randall Cobb had a goof moment on special teams, but he did <laughs> rip off a big play here uh, as well. You know, MVS makes a long catch as well. 28 yard catch for him. You mentioned Devontae Adams. Like the Packers just are who they are. And like, you know, they lose Aaron Jones. They sub in this. I mean, it's it's a tough look for everybody that panned the A.J. Dillon pick. And, and there were a lot of folks out there that laughed at the A.J. Dillon pick. But, like, guys been crucial for their team this year. And I think he's going to be crucial for fantasy teams, too, like, to end the year. I, I don't think that when Jones gets back, like, it's, it, I wouldn't be surprised. And I, I, maybe you disagree. I would not be surprised if, if A.J. Dillon leads this team in, in rush attempts the rest of the year. I don't know if he'll lead it, but I definitely think he has earned himself a larger role than prior to Aaron Jones's injury. And we know that because we've watched Matt LaFleur make all of the backfields that he's coached a timeshare, whether it was 60-40 or 70-30. I mean, I think we're probably looking at closer to a 50-50 timeshare. We also have to know, and we won't know this as media, right? This is an inside-the-building only kind of known fact how hurt Aaron Jones is. And if the Packers are looking at a postseason run, we might see A.J. Dillon, who has been playing so well, have a larger role to get through the season so they can save Jones for the playoffs. Yeah, which is why it was surprising that he played today at all. Uh, I, I'm not about to suggest that Aaron Jones is going to be the Deion Lewis to uh, <laughs> AJ Dillon, <laughs> Derrick Henry, <laughs> but I just, yeah, I don't know. I just, I think that um, I, I like your theory about like kind of resting Aaron Jones, even if he continues to play because he want, clearly wants to play. I uh, just, you know, if they like use 
Dylan to grind out wins to get to the playoffs. And then like we see Aaron Jones fully healthy there. That wouldn't be surprising to me. I think it's worth the risk, right? A lot of the guys don't want to gain rust. Like they want to be out there even on a limited basis, just to kind of, we've talked about how running back is such a position of rhythm, right? To be able to keep that going in their entire, not just physical body, but mentally as well, not forget the speed of the game and the feel of it on the Ram side of things. Um, uh, <laughs> Cooper Cup does not find the end zone, but who cares? He gives you an over 90 (sighs) yards, 7 of 10. You can't complain. I know a lot of people were chirping. Almost threw a touchdown. Yeah, that's right. That's right. A lot of fantasy Twitter was chirping in the first half of the game about him not being present enough. Well, he shows up, calm down. I do think this is an interesting moment for OBJ. 10 ties Cooper Cup in terms of targets with 10 looks. Catches five of them, 81 and a touchdown. I mean, I feel pretty good about that. I have to say, like, pause, side note. I don't know how you feel about Thanksgiving break in the, like, timeline of the season. Because this is always, like, an interesting, like, you look at your seasonal teams, your redraft teams, and you're like, I don't know, man. I'm just going to, like, I'm tired. I'm opting out. My Especially in a, in a year like this where the parody is so insane. Maybe... Everyone just needed a palate cleanser, and that palate cleanser included poultry and cranberry sauce to kind of get back on track. That's kind of how I felt. Like, when I saw OBJ, I was like, all right, I think he's going to flirt with 70 yards. Maybe he'll find the end zone. That makes sense to me. And it was really affirming to see him put up this game. Yeah, and was just playing a ton. You mentioned the targets, but, like, was on the field for almost 100% of the snaps uh, early on in this game. So, you know, that's going to be crucial. Like, I think Van Jefferson – who is going to be a little more volatile. He did get nine targets, but three catches, 93 yards, uh, obviously at the 79 yard touchdown. And he was almost the, he was the recipient of the almost Cooper cup touchdown there. One foot down. We would have had quite a play there for Van Jefferson, but Jefferson OBJ Cooper cup. Like I think you're probably starting these guys every single week. Like this is exactly what you wanted to see for Beckham. And I don't know. I mean, I'm not trying to like yada yada the Rams three game losing streak because like you don't want to lose three games in a row, especially when like, oh, you're playing good teams now. And, you know, it's not as easy to just do what you want against them. Like, you know, you go beat the bricks off the the damn Giants. Like, good for you. Have a flower for that. But I mean, you know, you play three good teams in a row. You drop three. But the offense looked I think much better in this game. You know, some of the numbers came late, all that stuff. But this was a competitive game throughout. The most tilting thing was like Sean McVay, like doing a little like draw on third and one and then kicking a field goal immediately. He's like, buddy, the in-game management stuff for Sean McVay is pretty tough. But uh, I think from a fantasy perspective, like Daryl Henderson, 16 carries, 55 yards, uh, does catch four passes and scores like, you know, he's still an RB2 play and all these guys in the passing game are every week starters, except I, th- I do think it's kind of like. Let's play taps for uh, Tyler Higby. I think we're done with that one. Mm, well, next week, the Rams should be able to bounce back because they are hosting the Jaguars at SoFi. Ah, well, I mean, hey, we get 54 <laughs> to 3 win. But <laughs> they'll, they'll, they'll beat the snot out of the Jaguars. Like I said earlier, Jaguars. Well, I mean. In a world, though, as you're saying that, Matt, like in a world where there are so few set it and forget it guys, how thankful are you for Daryl Henderson? You know, like, yes, he's an RB2, but maybe some days he'll give you RB1 numbers because the RB1s are, unless you're Joe Mixon who's carrying the ball 30 damn times a game, they don't exist. Yeah, I mean, maybe this is because I'm, you know, Liz, I'm 30 now, but like, I'm trying to see some of these teams establish the run a little more. Like, maybe I'm getting old, but I mean, it's like... The pendulum swing we talked about last week. 
Yeah, no, I mean, Daryl Henderson, let's let's get the, let's let's run the ball a little more. L.A. Rams. I kind of think, you know, and I know that some of this was like people made jokes about about this, but like on Twitter this week, because there's a few other people that suggested I don't hate the idea of like, let's bring back some of those old Jared Goff Rams offense plays. Like, I think they got a little too cute, a little too, you know, like, oh, look at all this new drop back stuff we can do. But it's like, let's get Matthew Stafford involved with some of these, uh, you know, some of these boot action plays, some of these layups used to give uh, Jared Goff there. I think that would actually be beneficial. Of course, the biggest question is like, you know, I was a little worried about the pregame report that we got uh, with uh, Matthew Stafford, that like his elbow and his bad back, uh, you know, because uh, as you know, Liz, ain't nobody, nobody never had a bad back. No. Oh, I messed it up. Ain't nobody never used to have a bad back. No, no. no. It's been four years of this. Ain't nobody used to have a bad, <laughs> have a bad back. back. I mean, it, it is like an absurd <laughs> amount of double, triple, quadruple negatives in there. So I, I don't blame you. But that part of it is is a little – and the elbow situation was a little nervous. But um, still, I, I think the Rams offense will be fine. I think the Rams will be fine. It'll be all right. That seems like a PR leak. If it's chronic pain, he's been dealing with it all year. It's a good point. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I feel Although, like you know, I don't know if from a PR angle, you might not want to leak like, yeah, this guy's been banged up. We, we haven't had him on the injury report, but he's been banged up. That seems like you get yourself. A little no, bit I feel. But I, I don't know. I have. I feel like managers leak that stuff or decide when they're going to leak that stuff. I mean, we've seen it with OBJ and it, it's oh. a lot. It makes allowance yes. for excuses <laughs> or it makes them look like heroes. Big Ben plays that card all the time. Right. When he comes in and oh. wins something. Big Ben's his own big old walking PR department. So we know that. <laughs> Well, he needs one after this week. We said that the Rams are hosting the Jags next week. Let's talk about the Falcons who beat the Jags this week, and particularly Cordell Patterson in his return from injury. 16 carries, 108 yards, two touchdowns. Please don't make me do this with Debo Samuel and the positional eligibility conversation we just had, but my goodness, it does feel good to see him return in such a dominating way. Yes, absolutely. Uh, yeah, there was there were definitely a positional eligibility war with old Cordero Patterson a few years ago. Um, but I, he's like the most important player to the Falcons, right? Like they looked like a lifeless team against the Patriots. I mean, lifeless. But he's still not doing enough to help Kyle Pitts, which is particularly concerning, right? Because the argument against Kyle Pitts is that when you look at how he was starting to come on with Calvin Ridley on the field, there was some, there wasn't as much defensive attention on him. And then he hasn't really had a great game since Calvin Ridley took his time away from the team. So the thought was like, well, quarter out Patterson, at least, you know, if he's being used as a receiver, changes every week, but he adds like another dimension or wrinkle to this offense. And that makes it less predictable through the air. So that should allow pit some breathing room and yet again six targets happy with the volume two catches 26 yards not happy with the production yeah i think the problem with uh pits is just that he's too easy to take away right now i mean he's a rookie that's that's problematic enough but you know it's like you're gonna let russell gage you're gonna let old media's a key you're gonna let those guys do their thing and like patterson is just tough to take away because yeah, he's had been being used more as a receiver. And then in this game, 16 carries for 100 yards and two touchdowns on the ground. Obviously, he gets a couple of looks through the passing game as well. But I mean, it was mostly rushing work. So it's just from a defensive perspective, you know, especially especially because they line up pitch so much as a non-traditional tight end. Like he's not a hand in the dirt tight end like 
I think it, being a perimeter player, like as much as he is, kind of kind of stinks for Kyle Pitts because he's just as easy. It's so much easier to like th- people do this all the time. It's like, well, why can't teams just double double Cooper Cup? Why can't teams just double Debo Samuel? It's like, well, those guys are moving all over the damn formation. Like, you, it's it's so much easier to like just line up a couple like double team or you know shade coverage to a, a number one X receiver and like that's kind of how the Falcons would be using Kyle Pitts. Like, I think they could benefit from moving him around a little more. We'll see if they do that. Um, they have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers next week, so that's not a deal. <laughs> okay um let's talk about the Bengals uh we talked about Joe Mixon he carries the ball 28 times he's he's averaging 30 touches a week there's no I don't think we need to have a conversation about it but I do think we need to have a conversation about T Higgins because finally we've seen the value we've seen the value we've won it you know but he just has an ROI Andy talked about how he was concerned during FFL I was concerned I mean I thought every week I'm like in DFS like yeah I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna buy the dip I'm gonna buy the dip and then it doesn't turn out Finally, turns out six of eight for 114 and a touchdown. I have to imagine, like, you know, this is the benefit of having, if we're talking about options, when we were discussing Atlanta, Joe Burrow has options. And so, okay, you want to take away Jamar Chase, as difficult as that may be, because he always can surprise with a, or he can rip off a long run and find the end zone. But, like, you know, he's kind of like the Cooper Cup version for the for the Bengals. But then you got T. Higgins, and and we know he can be a red zone presence. And so Joe Burrow decides to find him on a day that it was harder to target Chase. Yeah, I mean, number one part of the thesis of the Chase pick was just, that, oh, look at all how it's going to open up the rest of this offense. Like, you know, being a vertical threat, you know, an, an actual vertical threat, not like whatever AJ Green was doing last year. Like that's going to open up the rest of this offense. Obviously, it's going to open things up for Joe Burrow as a passer. You know, it's going to help these other guys. And you know, shout out to TJ Hernandez on the DFS show this week. Is just like you know, he brought up T Higgins, and, and you know, he just was imploring. Like, because I think I went as soon as he brought up T Higgins, like, oh god, again. <laughs> right. and, Right. And and he's like, that's the exact sentiment. Why? Yes, you you buy you continue to buy on T Higgins because uh, obviously the public will continue to will, will just start to get tired and frustrated of the whole trust the process thing. But the process has been there for T Higgins, you know, the the target share, the air yard share, the red zone target share, like those things are all pretty close with old uh, Jamar Chase. So like, it's the all the indicators have been there. I know it can be so irritating in fantasy football to like, continue to roll out a guy and have analysts or, you know, even your own self just keep saying like, but the process, but the process, like the indicators are there and it doesn't happen for your fantasy team. But like, especially for good players, like it's one thing if I'm telling you, like, oh, the indicators are there for uh, Nick Westbrook, Akita, Chester Rogers, <laughs> right. like whatever. But like T Higgins, we know is a good player. So to trust the indicators in the process for guys like that. Well, the targets have certainly been there for Jalen Waddle as well. I mean, he's averaging, was he had nine last week, six the week before, 10, 12, but the, and he's been fairly efficient. It's just not, the YPR hasn't been there. The touchdown equity hasn't been there. He did rush in a touchdown last week, but he today put together a career effort. He's a rookie, so congratulations. Nine of 10, <laughs> nicely efficient, 137 yards and a touchdown. This was another player in DFS that I was like, I do. I know. I know. I'm probably going to get you know over six catches, and maybe he'll flirt with 80 yards. But I don't know if he's going to find the end zone, and uh, and so I didn't do it. And yet here we go. And you know the matchup. We know that the the Panthers are certainly struggling through the air. 
57 uh, yard catch and run for Jalen Waddle. Like this is literally, that was literally the play. I think I was sitting here in, um, I think at the, I think I was at the office at that point. Who knows where I was? I was like, there it is. I think I said like, there it is. That's what I, that is the play I've been waiting for all year. Like when you look at Miami's offense, they're like in their own zip code when it comes to play action rate. You know, they're almost, like, <laughs> I think they're over 40% of their plays like a play action. Cause they use so much RPO stuff. And like, I think, because they've been calling plays that way, so RPO heavy, combined with two quarterbacks, more so Jacoby Brissett than Tua, but two quarterbacks who can be a little overly conservative, uh, and then also a bad offensive line. I think all of those things have, all those ingredients have baked together in a situation where we have seen Jalen Waddle's yards per reception not really be there because like, he's been the target on those like quick hitters or whatever. But like Liz, we know he's got the juice to break some big plays. Like I think and just the guy I'm saying, like the, I'm going to say the best is yet to come for Jalen Waddle, like 2022 and beyond. This is still a guy who's pacing for a hundred catches. Like we know he's an every week fantasy starter, but I still think like, man, a lot of potential for Jalen Waddle going forward. Miami has ripped off four in a row, four wins in a row, yeah. a, a couple of tomato cans in there, the Texans, but then the Ravens, that was a great game. Wins, the Jets, though. the Carolina, the Panthers. Yeah. They're, they're legit. Those, especially, um, I think, yeah, right. You're right. Like New York and Houston, c- congratulations. Here's like pin a rose on your nose for that one. But like Baltimore and Carolina, like those were two really good defensive game plans. And I think show that, okay, the um, secondary is healthy. Uh, they're they're mixing things up on defense. Like they're just blitzing the F out of teams like Baltimore. And, and they did a little bit with Carolina today too. You know, that defense coming back alive. And then so listen, when they're, when two is back there instead of Brissett, they are a different team. Like Tua can run a damn offense. Like he can actually add some things to the table here. Like this is, it's a guy, like Tua is a guy that as the situation gets better, he should get better. And I think he is from like a mental standpoint continuing to get better. Cause when you're, I don't know, this, we don't need to get into a whole Tua discussion right now, but like I, don't, I, long story short, Miami's not a joke of a team anymore. I know. And they're hosting the Giants in week 13. So, I mean, should be able to. It hold, might be a joke. Hold it down. Um, <laughs> you mentioned the Dolphins' defense surging, obviously getting healthier, blitzing. Cam Newton got scrambled by this Dolphins' defense, got benched, yeah. uh, passed for 92 yards. He did rush in a touchdown, so you know. Yeah, was that, that's feeling pretty good about old Cam him. Newton early. So, so where are you at on Cam Newton? Watch because you were his his biggest supporter heading into yes. last week. I think that this was the first week where I was like, ooh, that looks like a guy who just joined this roster less than a month ago. You know, like that 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 looked like a guy who wasn't who had just been dropped into the middle of, uh, you know, behind enemy lines in the middle of the season. And, and look, some of those passes downfield were uh, uh, ugly, but they did say he, he's going to continue to start. I think there's no question that that's going to continue to be the case. But yeah, um, some of the passes trying to trying to push it downfield. Not the prettiest. Say that. I did. I did briefly. I mean, it, the conspiracy theory that I cooked up does not check out because because of the division that the Dolphins play in. But I did kind of wonder if Coach Flo called Phil Belichick and was like, "Give me some notes." Just. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Maybe. Give me a little something, and I I don't know. But I think I think 
More importantly, that's just a silly little conspiracy theory trying to find wrinkles in narratives. It's a fun thing to do. It doesn't mean anything else. But I think, moreover, this Dolphins defense, people need to stop looking at the fantasy points allowed in the full season and start looking yeah, at I agree. Um, since they started to yeah. get healthy what everything means. Do you want to talk about the Jets? I mean, like Zach Wilson came back. He got sacked four times. Lord have mercy. This poor child. It's the boy, baby boy, Zach. Um, you know, it was, it was Tevin Coleman, not Ty Johnson who led the backfield and carries. Woohoo. It is nice that the Jets are able to pull off a quote upset for whatever that's worth over the Texans. Um, but I don't think other than Elijah Moore, who does not find the end zone, but does lead the receiving core and looks with eight, the efficiency is, remains an issue with Wilson because he only catches 50% of those opportunities. It's just like, it's just all, it's all gross. <sighs> Tough scene for the, for the Jets. <laughs> I mean. I mean, they win. So no one's going to talk about it. But for right. fantasy, I like it's gross. Well, I mean, listen, just the whole, the whole Zach Wilson thing is. I guess I had thought like, man, maybe, you know, there, there were reports like during the bye week or, or, or during Zach Wilson's stretch of absences here that they really like tried to sit down with him and like rework his fundamentals, rework his approach to the game. And then you still get a situation where he's like flinging the ball into Ty Johnson's back as he's like almost scrambled beyond the line of scrimmage. Like there's just some. I, he's I, scared. Like that is the, it, there is a difference. Be, this was the remember the scouting note was that yes, like he's not yes, going to have the protection say. that he had as a cougar in the NFL and when Makai Becton goes down the first minute then yep. everything changes and I, he's not fully healthy there was a report no. last week that he's he didn't have full confidence in his knee but the other two bozos are on the COVID list so he's got to go out there and he's not yep. feeling I mean of course he's terrified I'd be scared too and, yeah and I think the number one thing too is like. It's just it's tough to change the stripes of a guy. And the biggest problem with Zach Wilson, too, is that like most of his big plays, you know, when when he was forced out, like he was a guy who would who could make big plays out of structure. Right. Right. In space, in, in, in protected space, wide open Dixie Chicks level spaces. But I think the problem, too, is like, yes, the wide open space is part of it, but also like. He's not like when he has to when he's doing the out of structure stuff for the NFL, like he's not Lamar Jackson. Like he's not <laughs> Kyler Murray. He's not like an elite athlete, you know? It, it's just I don't think we'll see if like I'd be I'd be nervous about Zach Wilson if I was a Jets fan, but I'd also like try to tell myself a story that like, okay, maybe in twenty twenty two, once he's like used to the league and like has the protection, we'll see. But yeah, it's a bummer for Elijah Moore, who is like a bona fide superstar. He's open on every play it's just not going to really be as good with Zach Wilson out there. Let's move along to the Monday night preview. Um, Russell Wilson used to be hyper athletic. We haven't really seen that version of him over the past few weeks. He's nope. traveling to the Washington football team to take on a quarterback who may not be quote hyper athletic, but is averaging 28 rushing yards per game. So that's interesting. I love Taylor Heineke, by the way. Like, I love – I oops, I forgot. I didn't call him the pride and joy of ODU. That's the, your job. The pride of uh, ODU football. Let's go. <laughs> um, but uh, who, from a DFS perspective, are you most interested in investing in? I mean, like, almost anybody, basically. Obviously, uh, Terry Well, McLaurin. we need tears, friend. Tears. Okay, well – there's been a lot of tears watching Russell Wilson play football lately. <laughs> oh, look at that. 
uh, nailed it. I think even though like the pride of Lynchburg, Virginia, Logan Thomas looks like he's coming back off IR. Curtis Samuel might even play. I still think like Terry McLaurin's your core play here. Um, even Antonio Gibson, like I really, where are we at with Antonio Gibson? Like, you know, we, we talked the week before, like, okay, 24 carries. Wasn't that efficient against Tampa Bay? Then last game, I guess 19 carries was very efficient against Carolina. Like they still listed him on the injury report with the whole shin thing. But like, I think he's kind of at a point where we're feeling pretty good about old Antonio Gibson and the, and the Seahawks have been crushed by running backs. Most of this year, I think Gibson is in contention as the superstar pick here. And then on Seattle's side, like, you know what to do. It's, it's lock it and DK and that's, and log out. Like I'm not messing around with any of these other guys here. No, no, no. I don't want to answer any. I'm not messing around with the running backs either. Like, well, yeah, what are we doing? It's like, I saw somebody, I didn't respond because I forgot, but I saw somebody tweeted us after (laughs) the show like, hey, I missed the show. Uh, Was DJ Dallas discussed? And I was like, not one time. Thankfully. Um, We took uh, a lot of Alex Collins questions, and I think Andy said it perfectly. He's like, you know you're going to get your 11 carriers for 48 yards out of Alex Collins. Yeah. Antonio Gibson, I just want to touch on quickly because I do think that sometimes, again, at this point in the season, we also, I feel like people have to play DFS. Like if you want to be better at redraft, you have to play DFS because it forces you to evolve on a week to week basis with the league, which does not, as we've discussed numerous times, particularly this season, stay still. So there's a take lock, I think sometimes in redraft when you hear about Antonio Gibson's shin and you're like, oh, he's gimpy like that. No, he's not. Because last week, You know, maybe someone sees the regression. Well, guess what? There's a regression from two touchdowns in week 10. But then in week 11, he averages five yards per carry. Okay, 95 yards on 19 carries. That shows me that the shin is becoming less and less of an issue. And so he's becoming more and more explosive. And as you mentioned, when we put him in a plus matchup, we're not as afraid as we were before when we're thinking that Jarrett Patterson is going to be the answer at some point. I agree with that. And I think you said it perfectly. Like everybody that plays redraft should play daily fantasy, especially because it forces you out of the whole, like never again, never again with Antonio Gibson. He burned me. It's like, you can't afford to play that BS when you play daily fantasy, because like the whole board is available to you. Uh, And like when these guys start becoming values, you want to attack at a certain salary. I think Gibson, Yeah, I think Gibson's in that range, and, and you know, it's just I do think these offenses, even with some of the guys coming back for Washington, like they are concentrated units, which is a good thing. It, straight up, Russ or Taylor Heineke, who's going to score more points this week? I'll take Heineke. Yeah, I mean, I don't disagree. I don't disagree. I, I, I you still got to like rank Russ highly and all that stuff, but good God, it's just the issue is the. I think the issue is that Taylor Heineke. Well, yes, Taylor Heineke has Terry McLaurin. But Russ has two bonafide studs at wide receiver. And even though you've got, as you mentioned, Samuel and Thomas, like, coming back, like, how healthy are they? At what level is their rust build up? And I just think that it, Russ Wilson has better weapons at his disposal. But I'll take Heineke's rushing upside over Wilson's right now in his career. Not wrong. I mean, Russ is – you always wondered what Russ would look like uh, – within the Seahawks offense when he couldn't immediately go to that like improv stuff. Well, let me tell you what Ta-da. past past me. It looks bad. How did you like on you pod to win the game? There was that clip over FFL and Charles and Frank were like mulling whether or not Russ would go to Cleveland. And all I could think was there is no way that Sierra is living in Ohio. Like n- no, it is not going to happen. You said this about the, the Pittsburgh rumors as well. Yeah. 
She's not, she, this, it's not going to happen. She's not going to move there. And if people want like a precedent, go take a look at Lala Anthony and Carmelo. He played in Denver and she was like, nah, I'm moving to New York. This is not the market for me. They're not married anymore, but that's not part of the, (laughs) part of the discussion. I'm just saying there's, I would be stunned. I could see Denver though, like Sierra headlining at Red Rocks or whatever. I could see Vegas. I don't see Ohio. Anyway, if we're having a conversation right now. If you want to keep this conversation or another conversation, any conversation basically that isn't about Seattle's backfield going, you can do that on Twitter. <laughs> and you should make sure to follow me at Liz Loza underscore. If you can follow Matt at Matt Harmon underscore BYB. While you're at it, go ahead and double check that you're following at Yahoo Fantasy. For a different angle on Sunday's games, you can listen to Charles Robinson and Frank Schwab, who I just mentioned, in the most recent episode of You Pod to Win the Game. You should definitely subscribe to it. And make sure you come back tomorrow to this podcast for the very special Pickups Pod with Andy and Scott and Alexander Madison, if you can pick him up. But good luck, I doubt it. Until then, we're out. <laughs>